here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 104.4 FM in Durban. On the viewpoint. Mr. Smithers, good evening. Thanks for your time. Hi, Zongezo. Thanks. Let's talk about your organization, SAPA. What are you lobbying for? Why? What is the point of departure? In lobbying for what you are lobbying for, what are you not necessarily against or lobbying against? Give us a brief background as to the organization's work and what ultimately it wants to see take place in South Africa vis-a-vis alcohol and related alcohol issues. Thanks. Uh, well, SAPA is a, it's part of a global uh, attempt to try and ensure that uh, countries around the world have appropriate legislation to control the sale and consumption of alcohol. Uh, SAPA was formed in 2012. It actually is a regional body. So there's six different countries involved at the moment, South Africa, Lesotho, Botswana, Zambia, Namibia, and Zimbabwe. Uh, and I am the national coordinator of the South African chapter. Our main aim uh, in SAPA is to to do two, two key things. Mm. The one is to get government to introduce appropriate legislation. But more importantly, to give ordinary people, communities, civil society, a meaningful say in the process of reaching those policy decisions and in drafting of that legislation. Because it is people in communities, in neighborhoods, that are most directly affected by the problems that are caused by alcohol. And currently, the reality is people are disempowered. They don't actually have a say in what happens around alcohol, or not a meaningful say. There's tokenistic mechanisms through which people can have a say, but they don't have a real impact, particularly against the liquor industry. Let's have a conversation then in the light of what you have said. Let's talk about the Liquor Act. What do you believe in your reading and understanding of the Liquor Act advances or stunts some of the advocacy work that you're trying to do. I mean, I don't get you from what you've just briefly said. You are not against the use and enjoyment of liquor. Not per se. I mean, I think that if you look around the world, America in particular from 1920 to 1933, they tried to uh, ban alcohol altogether, and all they succeeded in doing was creating the mafia because the wholesale of alcohol went underground and uh, contributed towards the criminalizing, basically, uh, of the whole uh, uh, distribution of alcohol. So we're not opposed totally to we're – not, we're not calling for a ban on alcohol, although health studies uh, more recently are showing that, in fact, uh, it's probably not a good idea to drink alcohol because it does actually cause quite serious health problems, including recent, uh, recent research shows – uh, it's linked to at least seven different kinds of cancer. But that being said, yeah. we're not trying to ban alcohol. What we are trying to do is to encourage government to introduce significant legislation that will both uh, uh, control the liquor industry um, and the way in which they uh, promote their alcohol as well as the way they sell it and to empower communities to have a say. Currently, the reality is our experience, we talk to people in communities, in Alex, in Kailicha, various other places, and we say to them, we ask them the rhetorical question, 
do you have problems with alcohol in your community, knowing that the answer is going to be yes. And then we say, is there anything you can do about it? And they say, no. Why is it a rhetorical question? Why do you know the answer before you ask it? Just How re- do you get to that point? You just have to read the newspaper. I mean, t- take an example. This very this last weekend, seven people were shot in Kailicha in two Shabins. Four, five people killed um, in a in a shooting that happened in a Shabin. Uh, every day there are stories about the challenges that happen around alcohol. Is the profile of your communities to which that question was posed, and you mentioned Kylie, you mentioned Google, Alex, I beg your pardon, is, is that the profile of where the engagement took place? Uh, some engagement, uh, although I, we should hasten to say that the problems of alcohol might be, uh, might manifest themselves more strongly in uh, impoverished communities, in more precarious communities, and that's because the reality is that in South Africa at the moment, 25 years into democracy, the conditions in townships, in informal settlements and so on, the law enforcement, uh, service delivery and so on, mm-hmm. is really not up to standard. So the kinds of problems that happen around alcohol across the country happen more extensively in uh, in, in those impoverished But I mean, there was a story in the paper today about some fracas that happened in Greenside, which is a middle to upper class suburb in Johannesburg and before where you had, like, you had you had like 20, 30 people having a, a fist fight in the street uh, coming out of all the bars and so on. So mm-hmm. these things happen everywhere. Then I suppose the next best question is would South Africa's South Africans themselves and their relationship with liquor, how does it fare relative to the rest of the world? We are a middle income country which exhibits the best of, of both, mm-hmm. both of our poverty and the questions surrounding that, as well as our affluence. True. How do South Africans generally fare with the rest of the I'm trying to get a sense of benchmarking. Look, we are seen as one of the hardest drinking countries in the world. We're up there with the hardest drinking countries in the world. And by that, I don't mean that we're all drinking. Mm. Uh, Something that surprises a lot of people is that statistics show that less than 50% of the legal age population in this country actually drink alcohol. 50? Four. Less than 50%. Less than 50% of a good one. So in other words, the majority of legal drinking age people in this country don't drink alcohol. But those who do... Make up for those who don't. They make up for those who don't through binge drinking and through harmful drinking, basically, which results in all kinds of social problems, including gender-based violence, um, road crashes, uh, 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 disruption mm. in communities, um, you know, you name it, it's there. Let's have a conversation at a systemic level. Um, I'm just going to read now from the preface on the Department of Trade and Industry, the National Liquor Act and the regulation it reads. The National Liquor Act 59 of 2003 came into effect on 13 August 2004. Before proclamation, provincial liquor authorities were responsible for the regulation of all the value chain categories of the liquor industry. The Act then provides for manufacturing distribution of liquor to be regulated at national level while micro-manufacturing and retail, retailing continue to be regulated at provincial government. Last line, a new national liquor authority housed in the Consumer and Corporate Regulation Division of the DTI is responsible for the administration of the Act 
The NLA will receive, evaluate and recommend to the Minister applications for national manufacturing and distribution licenses and related matters. One supposedly would understand why it has to be housed where in the consumer and corporate regulation because ultimately it's big business the world over. Mm-hmm. Off- I, yeah. but, but before we had this conversation, you were talking about the fact that it is part of the challenge, the fact that it is housed in the DTI, in other words, in the economic cluster versus the social cluster. Yeah. Why that difference? Why is that key? Well, I think it's key because the orientation of the DTI is uh, promoting economic development, uh, promoting uh, employment, um, promoting growth of businesses and so on and so forth. Uh, interestingly enough, when the uh, in, in, in 2010, mm. uh, government formed an interministerial uh, committee to combat uh, alcohol and drug abuse. Yes. And it was not the DTI that was uh, heading that up. That was the Department of Social Development. Uh, also, in 2013, the... Uh, uh, control of marketing of alcohol beverages bill, which was going to ban completely all kinds of uh, advertising and sponsorships by the liquor industry, yes. was drafted by the Ministry of Health. And right now, the Department of Transport uh, is considering reducing the blood alcohol content level of drivers to zero. That was in the news last week. Mm. That's been on the cards as well from 2015. So in other words, although the main liquor act is the responsibility of the DTI, there are other departments which are more socially oriented, which actually have a say and have a, an interest in what happens around uh, liquor legislation. That's but that's not, to say, that's not to say the DTI doesn't take these social issues seriously. Mm. In fact, they passed, uh, they, they produced a bill Mm. In 2017, the Liquor Amendment Bill, based on the new national liquor policy, which was drafted in 2016, in which they called for, for example, the raising of the age of drinking from 18 to 21, mm. um, a quite radical restricting, not complete ban, as the health department was going to do, but uh, a radical restricting of alcohol advertising, mm. um, uh, giving responsibility holding uh, outlets responsible for, 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 for problems caused by the people who drink uh, in their establishments um, and also trying to limit the proximity of liquor outlets to places of education. So, so it's not that the DTI is not concerned about these issues. They are. Our concern right now is that the bills have been drafted. They've been submitted to cabinet Cabinets approved them. The Liquor Amendment Bill has actually been through a public consultation process. Nothing has happened with it since 2017. Why? I don't know, but I want to ask you this question. What were or are your views on those that were advanced by the Minister, then Minister of Health, Mr. or Dr. Aaron Mozzoledi, because he was, for the most part, he was your ally more than he was your enemy? No, absolutely. Look, I think the whole of government was our ally, actually, from about 2010. Mm. Because if you look even at the uh, the statement that was issued by the interministerial, well, if you look at the the the, the summit on on uh, drug and alcohol abuse that happened in 2011, there were 35 uh, resolutions taken there, 15 of which related to alcohol, 
very powerful resolutions, never been implemented. Um, so government was concerned enough to pass the to to pass the resolutions, but not to actually to police and monitor the implementation. Well, no, no, not not to actually, you know, uh, put them into legislation. Then what happened was they came up with a control of marketing bill in 2013, and the IMC made a very powerful statement before it was released, as did cabinet. Because if you look at the cabinet statement after the uh, marketing bill was presented to cabinet and approved by cabinet, by the way, for public consultation, uh, cabinet made it very clear that they were taking the issue of alcohol abuse very seriously. For some reason, the bill was never released to the public. Um, there were a number of studies done on the social impact of these things, all of which said go ahead and, and, and uh, uh, ban alcohol advertising and marketing like they did with tobacco. Mm -hmm. It never happened. In 2017, the minister, Minister Mutsualedi, said to us that they had put that bill on hold until the passing of the Liquor Amendment Bill because the Liquor Amendment Bill does introduce restrictions on alcohol advertising. And he said that once they've passed the Liquor Amendment Bill and enacted it, they would then reassess whether they thought that the measures around advertising in the liquor member were strong enough, and if they were not, they would then push for further for further action. One of the challenges we have, though, right now, is that all of the ministers who were in key to all of this work are no longer there. Are no longer there. <laughs> uh, Rob Davies, uh, Batabilit Lamini, uh, Aaron Mutsualedi, and um, the Minister of Transport, who I'm not sure who it was at that time. Ben Martin, Dupour Peters. Yeah, I don't know who it was. Laden's yeah. mind. It could be anybody. Yeah. But it's interesting. I'm just going to go back two points that you had raised mm. earlier on. The, mm. object, the object of the act. I wanted to understand what was most paramount in the legislature. And it's, and it's clear it's less commercial and more social development, so to speak, in the sense that it says. Correct. The objects of this act are 2A, to reduce the socioeconomic and other costs of alcohol abuse. Correct. B, then it goes on to say, to promote the development of a responsible and sustainable liquor industry in a manner that facilitates, and it goes on. So, if you will, the economic arguments around alcohol are second to the socioeconomic arguments. So I suppose it does dovetail in a sense to what you had said earlier on the cold-blooded shooting of seven patrons. But you had mentioned something equally interesting, and I want to tie it up. The ban on advertising for cigarettes, what did it do? Did it drop the amount of cigarettes consumed and bought by the country? It did, and what it did was created a healthier environment for people generally. Um, I mean, you know, when I was a kid, and, and right up until 30, 40 years ago, mm. wherever you went, people were smoking. Actually, we would be smoking in the studio. Mm. 40 years ago, if this interview was taking place in a studio, you and I might be smoking. That was the reality of, of the world that we lived in at that time. Even in aeroplanes, yeah. And one of the well, exactly, and one of the interesting things for me about what the the the, the um, tobacco legislation did is, if at that time, uh, in the good old days for smokers, if good old days, which good old days? <laughs> I'm saying for smokers. Indeed, uh, uh, the good old days for smokers in that time. If someone said, please don't smoke to somebody, mm. they were likely to get a hostile response from Correct. the smoker. Correct. That's not the case today. Today, it's the smokers 
who have to, to have to yield who have to yield and that to me is incredibly important and that is what legislation does legislation and em- enforcement and enforcement but legislation empowers us as citizens to be able to exercise our rights so right now we have a situation where uh, in 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 parts of the city and I'm, and and again please don't think mm-hmm. i'm just talking about uh, the impoverished areas of the city in the area where i live which is a middle class area we have similar problems um, uh, people who live around liquor outlets who have problems with the way in which they operate feel disempowered they feel as though they don't have a voice they feel as though they are not heard um, there are systems in place in theory for people to be able to object to a liquor license but i wonder let me test you mm. do you know first of all that you can object if somebody applies for a liquor license yes you're aware of that for the most part yes and how would you find out if somebody had applied i wouldn't ordinarily exactly because i would find out when the establishment is there exactly and i would and i would object after the fact the way in which you can find out is and it's in the act the Gauteng Liquor Act is it has to be advertised in the government gazette which as you know everybody reads every single day uh, <laughs> it's in the classified section of, of a, a local newspaper which as you know everybody you know goes mm, to first mm. when they read the newspaper and then only after that they go the to headlines. the sex sport and scandal um, and there needs to be a, a small notice on the building where it's going to be the fact is that that does not empower people to be able to exercise their rights. It's concealed in that sense. Exactly. So once they and then what's even worse is that even if you do object, then there's going to be a hearing by the liquor board. So what happens? You go into a room. There's the liquor board. There's the applicant with his or her lawyer or liquor consultant because he, he or she can afford to pay that person to represent them and to help them to get the license. You come in there as an ordinary citizen, you can't afford a lawyer or some specialist who can help you to understand, to sort of navigate the legislation and so on. Plus, now the applicant knows who you are and you're the enemy. So it actually puts people Sorry. in a very vulnerable position. Just repeat the last point because I really do want to get us to have, I, I want us people, I want, well, I'm, I'm, saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying that Is you, there a number on my head? Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. Because because the applicant now sees you as an obstacle to he, him or her getting that liquor license. And, in, and again, in communities where, you know, the thing about Shabins, uh, uh, which is, you know, and what happens in, in a lot of uh, townships and informal settlements is that because of economic circumstances and the history of the country and so on, people end up um, uh, uh, selling liquor in their house. So, so people who sell liquor in communities, in, in, in those areas, are actually from those communities, not somebody who comes and opens a bar in Greenside, but they maybe live somewhere else. People know each other, so it actually makes people vulnerable. So we, need, we want to shift that balance. We want to shift that away and say, actually, it's the community, it's the parents, it's the children, it's the women who actually have the power to go to these liquor outlets and say, you have to operate in a way 
that helps us to have a safe, secure environment. Mr. Maurice Smith is National Coordinator for the South African Chapter of the Southern African Alcohol Policy Alliance, talking to us about the prevalence of alcohol and its effect on the communities. I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Lesejo says I must read, and I quote, Please open the lines. What is it doing to your communities? Are you one of those people who agree with the closure of liquor outlets on Sundays, or are you saying, hey, leave my beers alone? My name is Songas Amabeko. Mr. Maurice Smithers is my guest. He'll be here for another five or so minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, 0891-104-207. Let's talk about the effects of alcohol, because I can imagine this kind of discussion will bear in large effect the same questions you will have in terms of gun regulation. People will say it's not the alcohol that's the issue, it's the person who consumes the alcohol. People will say it's not guns that are the issue, it's the person who has access to a gun and his socialization and responsible or irresponsible use thereof. I see Mr. Smithers here is shaking his head and saying that the issue is not about the person, it's about alcohol and I suppose its prevalence. So, in a sentence or two, what would you want to see after your interventions, after your lobbying, after your advocacy, what environment would you want to see pertain in ordinary South African communities vis-a-vis liquor? We would want to see liquor, uh, um, a, a rational process of the allocation of liquor licenses with the consent of people in communities, because communities, we believe, should have the right to say whether they want liquor to be sold in their community or not at all, or if they do, they they should have the right to say we don't want more than 10 liquor outlets and we don't want them to be near our houses or near our schools, for example. Uh, We would want to see a situation where uh, the law enforcement agencies, whether it's the liquor boards or the police or whoever else, uh, actually enforce the law uh, and ensure that liquor traders show respect for the communities that they are actually operating in. Because that's unfortunately not the reality at the moment. We want to see a situation where children can sleep at night, parents can sleep at night because they have to go to work the next day. We want women to feel safe uh, day and night, uh, walking in the areas uh, and moving through the areas where they live. These are not unreasonable things. These are what this is actually what everybody wants. And you know, we had a very interesting encounter in 2012. I was living in Yeovil at the time and doing mm. a lot of community development work there. Mm. And we went off to a liquor board hearing in Alexandra, mm. in Alexandra Kopano Hall. So when we got there, it was about five of us who went there. When we got there, the hall was full mainly with traders. We were quite surprised because it was supposed to be a public hearing. At some point, a trader, we were sitting near the back and we made a couple of comments and so on. And then a trader said to us, what are you doing here? And we said, we've come to this public hearing. He said, no, but this is for traders. We said, no, it's not. It's a public meeting. It was advertised in the newspaper, on the radio, et cetera, et cetera. He said, no, 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 you shouldn't be here. We said, look, let's leave that aside. Don't <laughs> you, what do you think? Don't you think that communities should have a say in these issues? His answer was, was very interesting. He said, no. Because if the community has a say, hmm. 80% of us will have to close down. That was a trader in Alex. So for me, that was a really interesting statement by him. He knows that there are challenges around it. So it becomes then a question of galvanizing communities to have more of a say and then Precisely. for how the liquor 
industry in relation to its communities pans out must then be determined by society at large. And ultimately, I think what you're saying, the bottom line is this, the communities are not empowered to have a say before the fact, and to the extent that they are brave enough to do so, there's still the challenge of ultimately, as you said, of having a number on one's head and the kind of control which is yeah. sort of expressed by this story. Yeah. You don't know how many people were told that by those traders in that hall before yeah. you guys got yeah. there, and you don't know even after the fact what kind of lobbying clandestine possibly is taking place, even with authorities, for those traders to insist that 80% of them still remain in business. Let's go to our callers. Let's go to our listeners. Alcohol abuse is a problem all over the Western Cape. People drive on the end to drunk, and they also take alcohol to the beach. I see many high school scholars drunk on Fridays coming out of schools. I understand we have a caller from La Lucia. Good evening, Melissa. Good evening to you. How are you? Thank you so much, Peppa. Uh, Lisoko said, I must, uh, I must, you must take my call, okay, but you are taking my call right now. I, and hello to your guest. Thank you so much. M- okay, Mar- I just want to say about the, uh, the liquor outlets. You know, the taverns, why do they close so late at 12? You know, I know the rule says at 6 o'clock, but here in our area, the taverns close at, at 12 at night, and they become such a nuisance to society because they take the alcohol, they buy the alcohol, some of them, from these taverns, and then they um, uh, sit around our homes, uh, you know, in front of our homes in municipal property, and they uh, and they uh, they consume this alcohol, which uh, causes a major problem for us because they leave all their bottles, their salt, and everything around our homes, and we gotta pick up those bottles because it's so dangerous to leave those bottles around because sometimes people get um, under the influence of liquor and they end up with an argument. They use the same bottle to uh, to hit each other. So it's very dangerous. So that's why sometimes I have to pick it up. But, uh, I mean, and the municipality only comes once a week or to, uh, to pick up the folk. It lies there the whole week. Enforcement then becomes an issue. Melissa, quick correction. What did Lisa Jose, my surname, ask to you? Uh, no, I don't know. She didn't tell me your surname. No, what Lisejo <laughs> should have told you, among other things, is to say my surname as Ma-Be-Ce. M-A-B-E-C-E, please. That's my surname. Okay, I'll correct it the next time. Thank you very much. From this end of the world, it sounds like my pair. No, no. <laughs> okay. My surname is uh, my pair. No more. Thank okay, you very I'll much, Melissa, calling time. us from Lelusia. Let's go to our voice notes, please, Brafini. Evening, dear Songhez. My problem with this thing of alcohol, it's all about regulation. Especially in the townships where I stay, you'll find that people, they just open taverns near the people's homes. So you don't know right now. Because as far as I'm aware, the law doesn't allow that happen but so the, how those people did manage to get lessons to do that i don't know i'm always wondering so i think they really have to check on this thing of regulations yeah, if people are abiding or what thank you very much Songezo, the best thing to do with the best way to deal with alcohol abuse is for government to introduce designated zones, special designated zones where liquor can be sold there. So if people want to buy liquor and to consume liquor, they'll go there and consume liquor, not in the residential areas. So if you do that, you're going to drive down the amount of liquor that's demanded. You're going to drive down the demand for liquor. And the problem will be solved because people will be lazy to walk there. And as for cigarettes, just bend them all together. <laughs> Maurice, it's clear from Maurice 
I mean, from Melissa and the two voice notes that yeah. it is very much about proximity mm. of communities, residential spaces where people can enjoy the homes and the availability of liquor on the one hand mm. and on the other hand, the non-policing even of that relationship in terms of proximity between these private spaces. And I would even say public spaces in terms of schools, because as one was lamenting the fact that it's easily available to scholars even yeah. at times, especially in the communities that you had outlined, mm-hmm. it is rather opposite the road fr- from a church, from a school, from Correct. public mm-hmm. parks where children would probably frequent. So then the question has to be enforcement. Talk to us about the enforcement of the National Liquor Act and its regulations. Do you get a sense that we are winning the battle on that front or absolutely not? I believe it's absolutely not, but you might be in a better position to tell me. Well, I wouldn't say absolutely not because every single day um, there are reports of uh, police going in and raiding uh, liquor outlets, confiscating liquor and so on. But it's almost like a battle that they can't win. Um, uh, because the legislation is not powerful enough to to prevent exactly what the one caller was asking is how do these places open? How do they actually exist when they shouldn't have a license or they don't have a license? So I think that's the critical question. But the other part of it, and I must go back to this, and I will continue to to mm. to, 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 to impress this on, on, on you and the listeners, is that at the end of the day, communities must have uh, a say in how this happens. We've got to denormalize. You see, part of the problem is alcohol is totally normalized in society and glamorized. Mm. So big, as big a, time glamorized, yes. So as a young person grows up, he or she is kind of almost groomed to, it's a status symbol. Yeah, to is groomed to want to drink alcohol at the age of eighteen. The question is, why? 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 Who says that because you turn eighteen that you should necessarily drink? And as I pointed out to you, more than fifty percent of people in the country don't drink. So therefore, we've got to get away from this idea that alcohol is somehow normal part of life. And, and and a lot of that is around advertising. A lot of that is around the way in which it's projected and related to culture and sport and uh, success and uh, uh, trendiness and celebrity Talking status. about projection, talking about culture, I know in Italy it's a social norm for young teenagers at the dinner table in their own homes in the presence of their parents to have a glass of wine. And as a result, for the most part, certainly not the kind of problems we have, Italy doesn't have this social problem of substance abuse, especially where the substance in question is liquor or spin-offs of liquor. Would you then say it's probably better for us to embrace the reality of that and inculcate a culture of responsible drinking? Would that not be a way of solving many of the problems? You know... In doing some research that I was doing a couple of years ago, I came across a statement by uh, King Tetsuayo. There was an investigation being done, I think, in the 19th century about alcohol. And he was asked, um, uh, do you have laws around alcohol in your community? Mm -hmm. And he said no. And he said, "Um, do people get drunk uh, in the community? So he said, sometimes they do. But, you know, it's fine. And do you ever punish people? Uh, One of of the points he made was that that beer, uh, traditional beer, was a food. Mm. Okay? They regarded it as a foodstuff. 
And uh, he said, we, you know, only if people behave badly will we, will we punish them. I think that what has happened around the world is in most countries a similar situation existed. And I'm talking about places like Italy, places like Spain, yes. where they have almost no legislation around alcohol. But the reality is that in the 21st century, mm. uh, with, with the global aggression of the liquor industry, even in Italy, even in Spain, they are developing serious alcohol-related problems. If you look at the, the World Health Organization study on, on, on global harm, mm. which they published last year, you will find that virtually every single country in the world has got these kinds of challenges. So I, I think that it's a kind of myth almost yeah. that because historically uh, uh, Italian kids used to maybe drink a bit of wine at the table that therefore there's no liquor problems in Italy. Um, there are definitely liquor problems there which may not be related to wine. They may be related to beer. They may be related to spirits. Um, that's why the World Health Organization pushes this particular line which says that in every country in the world you need to have very clear legislation, health-oriented legislation, reducing the availability of alcohol, banning the advertising of alcohol, and creating situations where alcohol is no longer normalized in society. We'll see what some of our listeners have to say in that regard. 2046, we're wrapping up the conversation. I'm just going to read a message and take a couple of voice notes that have since come through before we conclude the conversation with Mr. Maurice Smithers, who is the national coordinator for the South African chapter of the Southern African Alcohol Policy Alliance. Good evening, Mr. Mabedla. Can you please ask your guest if it's true that there is an amount of alcohol a person's body needs to function properly. Siva Zwelonke in Tienison in the Free State. And of course, I think that was just a gist. That, that was a joke. But I mean, of course, do 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 engage it because I don't want to dismiss him. And as well, there are a couple of voice notes. Brafini is going to play them and then you respond sure. and then you conclude the show for us, please, Mr. Marie Smithers. Hello, Songezo. You know, in Kwakwa, the police don't do their work. They don't call these people to order. They really don't do their work. These people make a loud noise throughout the night, seven days a week. The police are not doing their work. They don't enforce the law in Kwakwa. Thank you. Hi, Songyeza. We have a lot of people that are visiting Kailicha from Friday. So they stay from Friday until Sunday. Most of them are from the suburbs. And then others are from townships like Kukule, Tulanga and Nyanga. So they would normally come here for the whole weekend to come in and drink. And then they leave Sunday evening. So it's not just the people from this area, but it's also people from outside that are coming to drink here. Evening, Songyeza and your guest. This is uh, M.M. In the municipal area, what happens is that when someone applies for a legal license, the municipality, through the relevant department, they send their people that do inspection to inspect the building, the health department, to see if that building or that place is suitable. After that, they write a report. When they've written a report, that report goes to council, and then the council sits. People are called to come to the council. Sometimes people don't come to council. And uh, of course, the item is read in the council and the resolution is passed. After it is passed, it goes to the province and then a person is given their license, more or less in that way.
Thank you so much to our listeners. Fascinating contributions. Another one on Twitter. Sad indictment of alcohol is that poverty-stricken townships and sadly some countries. Alcohol abuse or use is the new status quo. This needs to be stopped. Final comments coming through from Mr. Marie Smithers in reply to some of the comments that our listeners have expressed. Yeah, thanks. They were very interesting comments, and thank you to the listeners for for engaging on the issue. Uh, first of all, the, issue, the, the the first speaker who talked about whether you need a bit of alcohol, he's not actually off the mark because there has been, and this would have come probably out of this Italian thing of drinking mm. red wine in particular, there has been over the years a belief that a small amount, not of any liquor, but a small amount of uh, uh, wine or beer um, is not unhealthy, that it actually does give you some sustenance. But increasingly, this is becoming uh, less and less the argument. And increasingly, people are saying, like I said to you, uh, they discovered in 2018, uh, uh, an intensive research program discovered that there are at least seven cancers that are linked to alcohol. Because Mm. you're putting... You know the word intoxicate is a very interesting word. Yes. Because what you what you're saying is when somebody's intoxicated, they've got a toxin in them. And what is a toxin? It's a poison. So what they are drinking is a toxin and that's ethanol. Mm. That's the the component of alcohol. And so it 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 we are only beginning to understand what the ethanol is doing to the body. The second thing that the I, I rather like the comment from the person from Kailich who talked about the visitors coming from the mm. suburbs mm. because my experience in Yeovil was that many people who were running liquor outlets in Yeovil were actually living elsewhere mm. they didn't want to deal with the have to deal with the issues in the area where they live. So during the week, they live in a nice quiet suburb and the weekend they go and mess things up in the townships. For That's the a serious indictment on the industry then, yeah. surely. Because who is to say that doesn't happen even at a multinational level? Well, it does. It happens everywhere. You know, I want to say something about the industry. I don't knock the industry for doing what they do. Because they are a business. So who can blame them for wanting to sell as much alcohol as possible? So I think the very society who buys it. I think we shouldn't actually have some kind of moral position against the liquor industry. They're a lost cause. They are not going to care about the social. They will pretend to. They will say responsible drinking. But And you raised that issue before. What they do is they blame the individual. They say, if you drink irresponsibly, that's your problem. They don't talk about advertising. They don't talk about the normalizing. But isn't it an individual's point at some level or the other to be responsible for oneself and one's, and uh, one's behavior? Of course it is. But we all live in social environments. Let me give you a little example. I have a friend who is an epileptic. As an epileptic, he can't drink. When he goes out with his friends, he's in his, I think he's in his late 20s, when he goes out with his friends, they keep on insisting that he should have a drink. Come even on, though they, I'm telling come you, on, drink, even though, you're a man, yeah, that yeah, sort of vibe. Even though they know that he's an epileptic and he shouldn't be doing it. And the reality is that peer pressure, advertising, normalizing, glamorizing, forces people into a situation where they don't have a free choice as to whether to drink or not. And that's what we're saying. Create that environment. If you have that environment, like with my son, I I will tell you now, and I I don't know if he's listening. I told him I was going to be on air. 
my son drink, uh, uh, smokes. And I said to him, why in the world are you smoking? You've got no reason to smoke. You're not living in the world that I lived in, where it was very difficult to resist smoking. So he, in his case, I blame him completely. He, it's his entirely What's his your son's name? I want him to call Oliver. us. Oliver, please call us. Oliver Smithers. <laughs> your father is asking why you're smoking and he's taken to national radio to ask that question. I don't know what happens in the Smithers household. And if we can intervene, call me, Judge Mabegla. <laughs> Oliver, let's have your thoughts on why you're smoking. And I would imagine you drink surely smoking and drinking. No, 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 him. no. He has stopped drinking. Fantastic. He was, he was into a bit of binge drinking, but uh, I, I would, he has actually stopped drinking altogether, which I'm very pleased about. Not. I'm, well, he's I'm off the hook because he has because he because he has realised uh, uh, the risks associated with alcohol, but but he's got no excuse for drink for smoking because the the the, the that we live in he might have a different answer he might have a different answer <laughs> we've got some more voice notes coming through there from Braffini and just a quick question if you have one pressing or quick invitation if you have one pressing matter that you want to really really get through to us I've. I've got space for just one more phone call. 0891-104-207. Mr. Maurice Smithers, National Coordinator for the South African Chapter of the Southern African Alcohol Policy Alliance, SAPA. They're advocating for more responsible communities to take charge of the liquor available in their communities. And, of course, we know the patterns at the socioeconomic levels that liquor follows is mentioned. For instance, an example of the cold-blooded shooting of seven patrons in two Kailicha liquor outlets on Wednesday and Friday last week. It therefore highlights the urgent need for decisive action to be taken to prevent alcohol-related harm in South Africa. Where that decisive action exactly rests, is it with the policymaker, is it with the DTI in their sort of management of the National Liquor Act? Is it with, I would imagine, especially the communities who are the first to be affected by it and hardest, more especially, to be affected by liquor and its use in communities? We're taking your call, 891 One more voice note, Profini. Good evening. Uh, just want to weigh on this issue of alcohol. Uh, I'm noticing uh, the increasing number of Chinese uh, that are owning taverns and public stores in South Africa, especially in the rural areas. Uh, they are owning these taverns, public stores, and then they are selling booze to everyone, even to the underage uh, children. So now, uh, I'm failing to understand that uh, where they are coming from, and then the business that uh, they are interested they are interested in is the one that uh, owning tavern and police stores. So, as South Africans, or as a South African government, why they are allowing Chinese to come and sell alcohol uh, to South Africa? So, who allowed them? Who allowed them to sell booze in our country? Who allowed the Chinese to come and sell booze in South Africa? That's the question from one of our listeners. Final comment, Scully in Durban, before we go back to Maurice to really wrap up the show 21 hours. Good evening, Scully. Good evening to you, Sengezo. Thank you for taking my call. And uh, to, you got the, you got a very honorable guest there, man. You know, it's so worthwhile calling him Honorable Maurice. Um, he knows it all. I wish you could get him once more, Pampeto. A very, this subject, you know, this, this, this topic touches my heart. You know, uh, all I got to say is you got to bring him back. 
Excellent. We'll try our best. Thank you Thank so you. much, Scully. Final uh, comments from you? Okay, Maurice. Uh, yeah, I wanted to just say that uh, the one the one listener who spoke about the the process uh, of the fact that things get submitted to the municipalities before the licenses are awarded. Because remember, liquor licensing is a provincial competency, as you yes. pointed out from the act. Uh, it is true that in theory that's supposed to work like that. But my experience, I, I did a master's last year. Uh, where I looked at the relationship between liquor licensing and uh, municipal planning. Mm -hmm. And my experience of the people I spoke to in the city of Joburg and the police and communities is that most people feel like licenses just drop from the sky, uh, that, they, that there's no real process of consultation that takes place. In fact, the outcome of my study was, in fact, that I believe that liquor licensing should be devolved to, mu to municipalities. Because then the issue that the other caller raised about where do you locate liquor outlets, that's part of urban planning. That's part of municipal planning. That's how you design your city. Yes. So actually liquor licensing… Which is not a provincial competency. It, exactly. So therefore, if you put liquor licensing with municipalities, they can then integrate the licensing process with the municipal process. And because municipalities are closer to communities, they can actually create… A more effective participatory processes for communities to be involved. But the, so the last points I wanted to make is um, we do have a challenge. I don't want to address the issue of the Chinese selling uh, mm -hmm. alcohol. What I do want to address is the fact that 25 years into democracy, we have 38 or 30 percent unemployment, uh, which is largely with in the black community. And one of the easiest ways for people to try and make a living and not get rich, by the way, subsistence living, because people, people who run shabins are actually earning a subsistence living. They're not getting rich. Uh, one of the easiest ways is actually to sell alcohol. And to me, that's an indictment of the country, of the fact that in 25 years, we have not managed to do enough to bring the black community in fully into the economic uh, uh, processes in the economic environment in South Africa because as we all know under apartheid black people were completely excluded from uh, economic activities so for me it's critical that you can't just talk about the liquor issue in isolation you've got to also say why are people selling liquor and give people alternatives real alternatives that will actually enable them to make I mean I don't I had a, when I was talking to somebody from the liquor traders association in my in my research I said to him how many people actually choose to sell you know it was their ambition in life is to sell liquor in a shabin he said you know what nobody wants to die selling liquor that most people who start selling liquor do it out of desperation and they would like to make enough money to be able to Stop get out of it and do something else. So I think that's a really important comment. And it's, but we are, I can tell you, we are somewhat happy that in the January the 8th speech of the, ANC. Of the ANC, of the statement, not the speech, it wasn't said in the speech, but it's in the statement, mm. government, uh, the ANC at least, recognizes that there is a need for urgent measures and they use our language. And the, the language of legislation and community mobilization. Le so what we are looking forward to now is for this to be included in the State of the Nation address, in the budget, and in the programs of all of our departments in the country.
Thanks for your thoughts, Mr. Maurice Smithers. Final question. Why not have the owner of Saxon World Shabin to discuss this very topic with you? Or better yet, the patron-in-chief. I don't know. Why not?